Today's sermon that I'm going to talk about is don't let your faith die with you. Hugh Hefner, the founder and publisher of Playboy, died this week. Probably didn't think you were going to hear a sermon starting with that. Some of you are like, what? Hugh Hefner in church? He's a children's pastor and he's talking about that? So the Hugh Hefner, the founder and publisher of Playboy, died this week. He left a legacy of bringing the objectifying of women mainstream, accomplishing his stated goal of taking away the stigma tied to premarital sex. In interviews, he said he felt his life was a success and he was proud of what he accomplished. He worked hard to accomplish the things he did. He was known as a very hard worker. He worked hours. He worked, so he worked hard to accomplish the things he did and made a lot of money doing it. And it made me think, like, what is true success? And Stacy said, really? It made you think that? I read an article that was tied about success with it. And I, and I just thought about his life, how empty it would be to spend all of your life climbing this ladder to realize in the end that it was on the wrong wall. And I don't want, I don't want my ladder to be up against the wrong wall. So I was thinking, what is true success? I think... Most everybody in here would probably agree. Part of true success, the the first part is to know and love God and be known by him. To have that relationship. That's what we were created for was relationship with God. And so part of a successful life is walking in that relationship, knowing him and having relationship with him. In order to love God, we first need to know him. The greatest commandment, When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we've been talking about faith, and faith is just a fancy word for trust. It's a deep trust. We can sometimes so spiritualize faith and so mystify it that we lose what it really is. And trust is accumulated over time. If, if I just went up to, to Jacob Smith before he knew me, and I said, Jacob, have faith in me. Trust me. Follow my every word. I can show you the world. <laughs> Shining, shimmering splendor. If If he trusted me, if he was like, okay, I'm with you. Uh, If he did that, he would be stupid. So faith by itself is amoral. It's what we put our faith in. And how we build faith, how we build trust with people is by spending time with them. If I just went up to Stacy and said, like, when I first saw her, and I wanted to do this the f- second time I saw her. I don't remember the first time I saw her. The second time I saw her, and the time I remember, I just went up and said, will you marry me? She would run, and rightfully so. If she said yes, I wouldn't want to marry a woman like that. So it's trust takes building. It's the same thing in our walk with God. Some people are, they, they're just starting their walk with God and they're like, I wish my faith was stronger. And it's like, well, it takes time. 
Spend time with them. Build relationship. I like to think of faith like a burlap bag. We accumulate faith throughout our lives. Living our lives with God as we get to know Him, it starts out, this is empty. But as we go throughout life, we begin to fill our bag of faith with experiences, times that we went through hard times and God was there for us, times that, that God blessed us, times that we, we thought that uh, our marriage was going to end and God came through and, and brought healing, times that, that we thought we'd never hope again and, and there was God. As we walk through life, as we live our life with God, as we study His Word, as we grow in prayer and hearing His voice, as we, and as we study His Word and wrestle with the parts that we don't understand and are like, God, I don't understand this. You say you're a loving God, but this person, this verse, I don't understand. How can that be loving? And we wrestle with God through it. That's how our faith grows. Because we're getting to know Him. We're going to Him with our doubts. We're going to Him with our, our struggles. And, and we grow. And so success is filling this bag with, a rela- with our relationship with God where we have this relationship where it's this intimate, trusting relationship. So we live our lives this way, and then something happens that changes everything. For us, this happened nine years ago. God entrusts us with a little person. And this little person follows us around. And... It's a little, it's got a soul, it's a person. I remember after our, uh, our midwife left, after my mother-in-law left, I remember that, that first night when there's this little thing that, is, that still continues to follow me around, I remember looking and going, God, you trusted me with this? I don't even remember to feed the dogs. Parenting's scary. When that happens, it's the second part of success. And that's this faith that we've built. It's passing it on. As soon as my first daughter was born, what success came to me before anything else, before my ministry, before anything else, was I want to pass on my faith to my kids. And so it's taking the things I've learned in life and starting to fill their bags. So first part of success is knowing God and loving Him. Second part of success is passing that knowledge of God and that love for God onto our kids, onto the next generation. If I just stay at the number one, my faith does not grow beyond me. And I know people that are there where they, they just they camp out at number one of I'm, success to me is worshiping God and knowing Him. And, but I want my faith to grow beyond me. Hezekiah was one of the good kings in the history of Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms. King Hezekiah followed God and saw God deliver him from many things. They had enemies attack them. And God miraculously delivered him. God blessed him with great riches. And throughout his life, Hezekiah followed God. 
when, when things came up, he got down on his knees and he's, he prayed in hopeless situations. He prayed and he followed God. So at the end of his life, he'd gotten great riches. And there was this, these people that came and visited him called the Babylonians. And so the first time we hear of them in Scripture, they, they hadn't really been around. And they go, hey, we'd like to see your kingdom. And he takes them around and he's like, and they're like, hey, that's, that's a nice, that's some nice gold there. Do you got gold anywhere else? Yeah, I do. Come on. Oh, you're such a good king. Show us everything. And we're, okay, I'll show you everything. And he, he goes around and they're kind of patting his ego and he's like, hey, look at this. I did this. Oh, yeah. And so he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. All of a sudden, Isaiah the prophet comes to him and says, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon." So he gets some really bad news. Like, if I, if I heard that, that would, I would, I'm not even Jewish and I'd tear my clothes and put like ash over my head and I'd, like, I'd get down on my knees like that. My, okay, my son's going to be castrated and become a slave? That's one of the, some of the worst news. So let's see how Hezekiah responds. How did Hezekiah respond? The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. What? What? And I, I can imagine Isaiah. He's like getting ready to comfort him. Like I just gave him a hard word. And this guy's that's a good word right there. And I'm like, what? What happened? This this man who, who spent his life filling his bag of faith and following God gets this news, and that's his response. Let's see why. This is, this is what it says. For he thought, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? Hezekiah's ladder was up against the wrong wall. His faith died with him. And the nation he led and his children suffered because he was so focused on what was happening right in front of him that he didn't have vision for an impact that, that lived past him. He fell for the lie, follow your dreams, be you, do what makes you happy. He's like, I'm doing it, but I'm doing that with God. And he didn't pass on his faith. This man's faith was wasted. It did not live past him. It's easy to judge Hezekiah and yet fall into the same trap as him. It's easy to look at him and go, what? But as a parent, I know there's times I've been sidetracked. I haven't placed the importance of passing on my faith where it should be. I want to share some statistics from the Search Institute findings of families who attend, this is families who attend church regularly. 
Only 12% of youth have a regular dialogue with their mother on faith and or life issues. Only 5% of youth have a regular dialogue with their father on faith and or life issues. Only 9% of youth have experienced regular reading of the Bible and devotions in the home. Only 12% have experienced a servanthood event with a parent as an action of faith. George Barna in his research said this, We discovered that in a typical week, fewer than 10% of parents who regularly attend church with their kids read the Bible together, pray together other than at mealtimes, or participate in an act of service as a family unit. Even fewer families, one out of every 20, have any type of worship experience together with their kids other than that while they're, while they're at church during a typical month. Could it be that our ladder is up against the wrong wall? So why are, why are these things these so important? I can share tons of statistics, and I had to cut down because I didn't want it to become a 30-minute depression. But I, I just want to share some things. The short-term consequences. Right now, Christians fare no better than non-Christians when it comes to divorce. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and pornography addiction. Now, if you deal with any of those things, keep battling. God's grace is big. I'm not talking condemnation on, on you for that. But the, when, when the church is at the same level, there's something missing. Long-term consequences. If current trends in the belief system and practices of the younger generation continue, in 10 years, church attendances will be half the size it is today. 61% of today's young adults had been churched at one point during their teen years, but they are now spiritually disengaged. The Southern Baptist Convention reports they are currently losing 70 to 88% of the young people after their freshman year in college. In one study, 90% of youth active in high school church programs drop out of church by their second year in college. If we believe the gospel to be true, that Jesus died for our sins, and through faith in him, we can be forgiven, passing that faith of him on to our kids is the most important thing. As parents, there's a lot on our minds, especially with the internet. Because with the internet, everything now, it's like you can choose this if you want your children to die. Parents have a lot on our mind. The diet of our kids I fed my daughter chocolate checks for breakfast this morning. Some of you are judging me, including my wife, because <laughs> we're not supposed to have those for breakfast. There's diet, education, sports, health, character, and all these are really good. But faith in Jesus trumps these all. How did we get to the place where faith is not walked out in the home? I believe the answer can be found in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses is preparing the Israelites to enter the land. It's kind of his, his last big sermon before they, they enter. And this is what it says. It says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of 
all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Reggie Joyner says this, With the excess that surrounds most Americans, a lot of families get sidetracked from what really matters. We become so preoccupied with giving kids an inheritance that we forget the significance of leaving a legacy. Sometimes I have to be reminded that what I give to my children or what I do for my children is not as important as what I leave in them. Families run the risk of becoming relationally poor in the pursuit of becoming experientially rich. We live in the era of the busiest parents that I've seen recently. And parents run to and fro because their kids need to go to the yoga class after going to the special diet class. And there's, there's things offered uh, every night of the week. Youth group, we were looking for a night of the week that schools don't plan things. And we realized there's not one. And so we're like, well, just keep it the day it is. And when kids come, they come. And because of that, because our busyness, when, when you live in a, in a rich society, which we are a rich society, you may not feel rich, but our poor is the rest of the world's rich. When you live in a rich society where you eat and are full, it can be easy to start to feel like we need to outsource everything. I don't have time to make my own spaghetti sauce, so we go to the store. We buy Safeway Organics because we do a good diet. A lot of us don't change the oil in our own cars. I don't. We outsource things. And it's okay to outsource things. But when we start to outsource everything, then we go, okay, I'm going to outsource the passing on of the faith to my, of my kids to the church. And then our kids are struggling. We, we go, I don't know what's happening. They, they're enjoying church. It's a good church. What the issue is, is when we outsource the passing on the faith of our kids to the church, the biggest problem with that is, on average, the church gets 40 hours a year to influence a life, to pass on the faith. On average, a parent has 3,000 hours per year to influence a life and pass on a faith. Great majority of parents love their kids. There are parents who don't love their kids, but they are the rare, rare exception. Most parents love their kids the best they know how to. Some of them, well, we're all really messed up. You want to find out if you're messed up? Get married, that'll, that'll teach you some, then, then have kids. They, they're mirrors. But parents love their kids. I've seen, I've been with parents weeping over their kids. And parenting is hard. Families are messy. Anyone who claims to know how to be a good parent has either just graduated from Bible college with a youth degree or just graduated from EOU with a psychology degree. 
that will last you one night. I thought I was a great parent I, uh, before I had kids. I had it all figured out. Then you have a child and she's crying and you don't know what to do with her. And your prayer, like you're literally crying because like, there's a lack of sleep and you're insane. You're like, God, please, just let her sleep. Let her sleep. My wife's grumpy. I'm grumpy. We don't even know each other. I don't know the last time we showered. There is a, like the first time you have kids, there is a two-year, two-month insanity period. goes to two years. But after after that, like after the two months, you get used to no sleep. And so the second kid, third kid, everyone's like, second kid's harder, third kid's harder. Uh, I'm already sleep deprived, so it didn't uh, didn't affect me as much. And then most examples, have you guys noticed this? Because there's times it's like I'm going to get encouragement through scripture, because I feel like I'm failing as a dad. Uh, let's look at some great families in the Bible. Oh, Jacob. Mm. Oh, oh, the most most examples of parents in the Bible were horrible. Parents see their need. That's why there's a higher percentage of parents that go to church than any other adult. There's a lot made about millennials leaving the church. But, but actually, not just millennials are leaving the church. The majority of adults in America now do not attend church regularly, with one exception. Parents who have children under age of 18, two-thirds of parents that have children under the age of 18 go to church regularly. That's crazy. When you look at the national averages, it's because you see your need. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I need help. Parenting's scary. And most parents feel like they're failing their kids. Maybe this sermon hasn't helped. You're like, yeah, I feel that way. Thanks, Pastor Josh. There was one time before I had kids, and I was the expert on parenting, I was up front worshiping, and I was just getting lost in God, because before you have kids, you can do that. And God, God spoke to my heart and gave me a word for Becky Foster. And Becky Foster is an amazing mom. Like, one of the, the parents I respect highly. And I got this word. I was like, okay, I'm getting a word for Becky Foster. What is it, God? Tell her she's a good mom. That's good. That might offend her. Like, she knows that. And so I'm, I actually was arguing with God. Like, back and forth. And I was really nervous. I don't know why I was nervous. Not like she's going to be like, what are you saying? Like, I, I just was nervous. And so I go up to her. And I say, I think I gave this big, long disclaimer that was stupid. And I'll spare you guys it. And then I finally shared the word. And God just wanted to let you know that you're a good mom. And Becky just started bawling. And I was like, what happened? I don't know. I wasn't married at that time, so I didn't know crying. And women, it's confusing. So I kind of opened my eyes, and it made me realize it's easy for us to look on the outside and go, man, those guys are killing it. But on the inside, we're like, Oh, oh, Jesus, please help me go through the day. 
you can spend, as a parent, you can spend 23 hours and 55 seconds of the day blessing your children, walking in total faith, holiness, awesomeness. And, and then five seconds, and the, your kid's been being a brat for three hours, and, and you've been patiently disciplining him, going, walking through, this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and then finally you're like, shut up! Shut up! Leave me alone! room go and and that night what are you focusing on you're laying in your bed going i am the worst mom in the world i'm the worst dad in the world i lost my temper for five seconds and i and so as parents we we realize okay we have we realize the weight of it but so how do we how do we pass on the faith how we how do we take these bags and and fill our kids with faith while changing their diapers and while making sure that my son doesn't punch my daughter in the nose. I believe some of the answers lie in Deuteronomy 6. And you can start, with, you can start this before you have kids. Passing on our faith doesn't start when we have kids. Marshall and Liz Bebado are the top volunteers, like they volunteer the most time in children's and youth ministry. They volunteer the most time pouring into the next generation. So you don't have to wait. So I'm going to start in verse verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Actually, I'm going to give some background first. Israel just finished wandering the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience due to lack of faith. Moses and all the older people were not allowed to enter the promised land. This was towards the beginning of Moses' final speech. This generation, though they continually failed the tests of faith as they wandered the wilderness, had one of the greatest passing on of faith from one generation to the next in history. They were the opposite of Hezekiah. As they went throughout the wilderness, they were like, God, you're killing us. I want to go back to Egypt. God, you're killing us. I want to go back to Egypt. No, we don't want to go in the land. They'll kill us. No, now that you told us we can't go in the land, now we want to go in the land. They continually failed when their faith was tested. Yet this generation, arguably in the history of the world, had the greatest passing on of faith of any generation. And I say that to say, your faith doesn't have to be perfect in order for you to pass it on. Because I know some of you, you look and you go, man, I, I struggle to read my Bible myself. I struggle to doubt with doubt myself. I've, I've made so many mistakes in my life. How can I pass this on? Take encouragement from the Israelites. And this is what Moses said. He said, now this is the commandment, the statues, and the rules that the, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's son. So grandparents are not off the hook. By keeping all the statutes and commandments. That word keep means to hedge about, means to guard diligently. In verse 4, it goes on to say, Hear, O Israel, and the first step in passing on our faith is listen to God yourself. 
Spend time with him. Get to know him. That word here means to listen attentively, to let things come in. So if we want to pass on our faith, the first thing is building our own faith, spending time with God, getting to know him, listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't pass on what you don't have. But as we learn from Israel, you can pass on what little you have. My faith bag may not be as as big as some other people's, but I'm going to tell you this, with all my heart, I'm going to try to empty my faith bag into my kids. So it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Step one is listening to God for yourself, building the faith. Step two is keeping your faith. Guarded as a treasured inheritance, even before you have kids. It is the greatest treasure you can pass on to your kids. It's the greatest gift you can give to somebody else, is your faith in God. Because He is our only hope. And there's people that are dying looking for hope. And we can go, okay, I have hope. And I know it because I've, I've filled my bag. And He's been there for me. And we can fill it We can continue to keep that faith and guard it. When you eat and are full, don't forget the Lord. That was Moses' command to them. He goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates, when your son asks you in times to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and the rules? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as, as we are to this day. So step one is listening to God for ourselves. Step two is keeping that faith. And step three is to actively pass on the faith. It's not something that just happens by osmosis. It's not like... I have faith. I'm going to go sit by my daughter. Faith is getting transferred. Throughout it, it says the way that we do it is by talking. By talking. And when do we talk? When does the times? doesn't say at church. Church is good. But nowhere in it does he say in the synagogue. He assumes that. But if we really want to pass on our faith, where does it start? says when you sit in your house at meal times lazy days or sabbaths taking time turning off the electronics and and hanging out together talking having specific times where you ask your kids about the day where you talk to your kids about faith where you pray together it's got to be a purposeful thing because as you know things get crowded out. If, we don't, if I don't plan it, it doesn't happen. So when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, or for us, because we're lazy rich Americans, when you drive by the way, tell a life story. Tell a Bible story. Ask questions. Turn down the music. 
Tell your, parent, tell your kids to put away the phones for a little bit. And like, okay, we're going to talk. And it may be hard, especially if you haven't done it and your kids are teenagers. They're going to be like, be like, do you want to hear a life story? No. Do, uh, well, I want to share one. So? Do it anyway. Talk to them. Ask them if they don't want to do it that way. Ask them, well, how can I? Talk as a family. Have family meetings talking about how, how you can spend time in the faith together. So when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, night times are really important in our family. We're a really busy family. So I make sure other than there's about two nights a week that I don't get home in time for the kids' bedtime. But other than that, I really work at being home because I'm away a lot. They need time with dad and they need time hearing dad's faith. We are blessed to be able to have Stacy just work part-time so they get more time with her. But for me, that those times are really important. So I put, I put them to bed. And I'll, I'll say our nighttime rituals, not because I'm saying this is, this is the holy way to do it. I'm saying it just to maybe stir some things in you of different ideas you can do. We, I go into their room. I give them cuddles. And then we go over a devotional that we do. And we've just gone through different devotionals. If you are looking for a devotional, I can tell you lots of great ones. Then we've been starting reading through the Bible. Once Jackson got to a certain age, we were like, okay, we're going to read through the Bible. We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to read through just the stories. For, for us, we skip over the genealogies and the laws. And later, later in life, we'll add those in. But for now, I just wanted to hear the stories about the testimonies of God. And then we pray, and I pray for them. They both pray. I didn't make them pray out loud. I'm, I've seen things where parents have forced kids into spiritual disciplines where they, they go, okay, you will read your Bible for 20 minutes, and guess when that kid leaves that house? They don't ever read their Bible again unless God heals them from the pain caused by that. I'm not one for forcing. I'm one for strongly encouraging but we, we read our Bible, then we pray. Jackson just started praying out loud recently, like and really praying, not just repeating what someone else is praying. And it's been awesome. When he found out Pastor Mitch's grandpa died, her grandma died, uh, he got really sad. And he was like, if my grandma died, I'd be really sad. And he really likes Pastor Mitch because Pastor Mitch gives him candy sometimes. And he was like, so can you pray for Pastor Mitch when we go to bed? And I said, no. I said, I can't. You can and and he prayed, and he prayed this heartfelt prayer. And I was like, I'm glad I didn't pray for Mitch. Mitch really just got prayed for. I would have been like, a, God bless Mitch and his family as they grieve. And Jackson really prayed. So then, then I turn off the lights. I put on a little reading light, and I read either a missionary biography or we went through the Chronicles of Narnia. We did a, a lot of different things. I read for him about for about 20 minutes, and then... I leave by that time Jackson's usually asleep, and it is, is my favorite time of the day, most of the time. I don't want to send this romantic thing and it's like, it's perfect all the time. There's times where I'm like, Jackson, get in your bed. Stop getting up. Uh, I can't, okay, uh, stop asking. And then I'm, I'm irritated, and, and I'm like, oh, I got through with it. There's times where it goes great. There's times where it doesn't, but we're a family, and we don't give up when 
it goes hard. So nighttime rituals, and then it says when you rise, morning rituals, pray for your kid's day, share a verse, just talk. Then I'm not going to go into the whole cultural thing of frontlets and doorposts and gateposts, but I want to say this, that we need to have things in our house and in our lives that remind our kids about faith things. I know a family, and I, I would love to do it. I'm, I've been too lazy up to this point, but they celebrated all the Jewish holidays through the, through the year, and it w- really did a lot for their faith. I, I didn't ha- I've not done that yet, but I think that's a cool idea. The final thing is when, what Moses said at the end. He said, when your kids ask, what's the meaning of all this? The big question, Why? When your kids ask why, that's an important time. It's not the time to go, because mommy and daddy said so. Like a big thing right now for this generation, a question they're asking, and honestly, the church has done a pretty bad job of answering is, why are sexual sins wrong? Why is homosexuality a sin? Why does God say that it's wrong? Because God says it's wrong. It's in the Bible. We need to have an answer beyond that. What's God's heart behind it? Because if we don't give them that answer, they're going to try to figure it out themselves, and there's going to be other people. Well, it's because that the God of the Bible is not a real God, and it's because it was written by uh, people that are, that are hateful and this and that. And, and doubt will come in if we don't answer the whys. And I know talking about sex to your kids, again, I was an expert in talking, to sec- talking about sex to the kids when I hadn't had sex and wasn't married and didn't have kids. And when my daughter talked to me about it, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Is there a children's pastor I can call? How do I do this? I know that a lot of parents don't talk to their kids about sex because it is awkward. Maybe there was shame from things that you did or maybe you don't know the answers and you're like, I don't know what to do. Just do something. Take a step. You don't have to do everything. You could look at this and go, oh man, I need to start doing this, 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 this. this." And I'll tell you what, if you do that, if you leave here going with a list of 30 things to do, how many of them will you do? Zero. So pick one thing. Pick one time. It's like, okay, we haven't been, been purposeful about night times. Let's, let's focus in on that. Okay, we haven't been purposeful about this. Let's focus in on that and start building it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. But just don't give up. It's the most important thing. We don't want our faith to die with us. I don't want to be Hezekiah. Oh, I'm a great king. but my kids are dead and lost. So what about all the single people? We're all called still to the steps, whether we have kids of our own or not. We're called to the step of building our faith, of of keeping our faith, and passing that faith on. What about the grandparents or parents of adult children? I want to tell you, your work is not done. We need you. We need you desperately. 
We need your wisdom. My generation doesn't know what we're doing. We need you. And we may have weird ideas and we may not listen because we're stupid sometimes. But still, be open there. Be, be there. I need help. You need help. We all need help. I could make a song about it. As the church, we want to help you. The role of the church is to team with the family. There's two institutes that God created. There's only two institutes of all the institutes in the world that God created for passing on the faith. That is the institute of the family and the church. And the power is when those two combine. And like I said, parents go to church because they see their need. But a sad statistic is 80% of parents say that the church has not helped them to be a better parent. I don't want that to be the case in our church. And I know in some cases, you probably feel like that is the case. When I first started ministry, I was young, and I saw something. I saw that most children's ministries were throwaway. That people didn't really care about children's ministry. That, they, that they'd put on a little video for the kids, then ask them some stupid questions having to do with the video, and then play the rest of the time. I went and visited a church recently to check out their children's ministry to get ideas and different things. And a children's pastor told me, he said, said this is our priority. Number one, safety. Like, okay, that's good. Safety is important. Number two, fun. And number three, Jesus. And he said, because if the, if the kids have fun and the parents feel like they're safe, then the parents will come back. And I'm like, but what about the kids? And that's why we at our church, we have, I try to get the kids being the church, doing ministry, not just coming and getting entertained. I don't want to create pew sitters. And that's been a real vision of mine, but somewhere where I've really missed it is I feel like I, I've not been there for the parents like I need to be. I've been so focused, laser-pointed on this one thing that there's parents that I've talked to recently that I, when I've been talking about ideas, and I'll talk about devotions, and a parent that I really respect said, I've never done devotions with my kids. I don't know how to. I was like, oh, probably be a good thing for the church to tell you how to do. So we as a church, we want to come alongside you. I Something I, I realized where I've really wasted a lot of my time is every year we have the sex talk with the kids. That hasn't been a waste of time, but in some ways it has because here's what happens. We do this research. We put it, I put a lot into it. And we share, but then the people that are their primary influence are not equipped. They don't know what we're sharing and they're not equipped. And most parents that I've talked to, parents of teens and other people, including myself, talking to your kids about sex, we don't know how to do it. And so we want to provide things. If you look in your bulletin, we have a survey that we'd like you to take because one thing we want to start do doing is providing some trainings. But we want to make sure that
we're providing the correct trainings, the things that you're really wanting or needing. It's like, okay, uh, we don't want to be like, okay, how to teach your kids to crochet the gospel. You're like, I really didn't, don't see a need for that. And in that also, there's, it's part of our faith at home thing that we're doing. It's not just for families with kids. There's, there's things on the survey that we want to know how to come alongside college age, single people, people with adult children. Some things that we want to do as a, a church and that I'm committing to stepping towards. Better communication. If you have youth that are in the youth ministry, you've been getting more texts from me. I'm not just hounding one parent. I'm just sending all of them. If you don't want to get as many texts, just let me know. But I'd rather over-communicate than under-communicate. Also, easier access to classrooms. Parents in Adventureville, we want to start having an opportunity on a rotating basis for parents to come to come in and see what your kids do in class. With no, you can just be in there and sit, or you can have an option of sharing a testimony with what we have, what we're teaching that day, or being a part of a skit, or bringing a snack. It could be any of those, but we're going to be getting that going. And and then finally, it's the faith at home trainings. Most would have a training for adults and children that would go along. Like if we're talking about like devotions. We'd have a thing with the parents, then we'd have a thing with the kids, then we'd bring them together, and we'd have times where, where that could happen. Please give us feedback. Let us know what works and doesn't. I have a handout out in the, the lobby that gives some ideas of ways to incorporate building faith into your, into your life and questions that help spark things. So if you want to take one of those, those are out in the lobby. So let's, like, let's make a commitment as a faith community to team together to see that our faith does not die with us, but that we can stumble along in our faith, of, faith in God together and, and pass it on to the next generation. Amen? For parents who feel like maybe it's too late, I want to tell you it's not too late. It may be hard, but be encouraged. Jesus, right now, Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the faith that you've poured into us, the trust that that you continue to build in us by your faithfulness. I pray that you would equip us to pour out to the next generation. Amen.